0: Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie.
1: Part of the game. CJ, we spent all of Monday's episode talking about William E. Langer. And I have to admit, I thought that was going to be the big story of the week. And then the cutter Gotier trade happened. The, the Coles notes of this fifth overall pick for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, You think everything's all right on that point until he starts ghosting them and ultimately tells them he doesn't want to play for them anymore. That is somehow kept secret from everybody. And earlier this week, we learn he gets traded to the Anaheim Ducks for Jamie Drysdale in a second round pick. So many questions, so many angles to unpack. CJ, when you heard this trade happen, what was your genuine reaction? Oh, I mean, it
0: was pretty apparent right off the bat, like, wow, this is a significant move that uh, I didn't see coming. I don't think very many people saw coming. Even, you know, I've talked to some executives whose teams were involved at, at some point in trade talks with the Flyers where Goche's where name came up, but they, you know, at least the ones I talked to didn't weren't aware that there was necessarily this issue uh, brewing behind the scenes. You know, they they, they saw it more as you know, a new front office in Philadelphia, everything's kind of on the table kind of thing. And so, you know, I think that that maybe the fallout since the trade has taken a lot of people off guard. I mean, there's all kinds of angles here. I think I think it's worth revisiting just quickly because it will help frame our discussion, the timeline. You know, Cutter Goche was the fifth overall pick in 2022. It was a different Flyers front office. You know, obviously Daniel Briere as general manager, Keith Jones as president were installed. Uh, after last season, it was in May uh, after Cutter Goche represented Team USA at the World Hockey Championship, where he informed the Flyers, you know, at that point, new management team that he wasn't interested in signing. Um, you know, they didn't overreact to that per se. They wanted to give him time. They didn't make anything public. They, you know, chose to give him some space. Ultimately, Goche doesn't come to their prospect development camp in July, and you know, obviously through the in the intervening months here the the flyers new management team was hoping to change his mind, was hoping to get an audience with them, was hoping to have a chance to sit down and figure things out. And they just were really never given that opportunity. And, you know, I think that given those circumstances, and I know you're going to ask about the why, but given those circumstances, if you're in their spot, I think they made a reasonable decision here, a to, to keep it very quiet and B to pull the trigger on a deal right after he was arguably, the, the best U.S. player at the the World Junior Tournament, where he won gold uh, with his teammates over in Sweden, and so, you know, they they traded him. You know, rather than extending this longer, where it was the writing was on the wall that he he wasn't interested in signing with them, they got a pretty good return in Jamie Drysdale and a second round pick, and then we're all left to try to untangle the web because you know, depending where you sit, the Flyers brass was pretty open here about. You know their, how perplexed they were, the efforts and lengths they went to 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 try to break the the freeze, and then ultimately how they ended up, uh, you know, pulling the trigger on that
1: deal. I I do want to ask you about how you feel the Flyers reacted to all of this and how they spoke publicly about it, but I do also want to ask about that why because it still doesn't make any sense to me. And I understand that Cutter Gauthier will eventually speak to the media and maybe we'll learn parts of his story, but. I'm I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, hold
0: your breath on that. Sure.
1: I'm fine. I mean, he's going to speak to the really media, know. of course,
0: but I, 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 it doesn't, it seems like he and his agent Kurt Overhart are focused on moving forward rather than getting into the, why this happened. But moving forward from
1: what that's, what's always going to, that's, what's going to keep me asking why that's, what's going to keep asking so many Philadelphia fans who I get it. They will, they may have already moved on and they're ready to boo him at the first chance they get but I'm sure there are a lot of them that want to want that are wondering why, like I'm, I'm trying to figure this out and it, I for the life of me. I just can't do it. I can't figure it out.
0: Well, it feels like the well was poisoned potentially with the previous management regime in, in Philadelphia to some degree. Like it, it, it seems as though some of the, this relationship was already fractured before Daniel Brayer took his post and, and Keith Jones came in as president and, and, you know, obviously I think where those individuals are frustrated or, or confused is, you know, they've tried to maybe patch things up or, or, or see if there's something that could be done. And, it, you know, it appears that there's just been no interest at all in even engaging in that kind of talk. You know, ultimately, any prospect has the right to do this. I mean, if you're drafted out of the, the Canadian Hockey League, for example, you know, if you don't sign for two years, you go back into the draft. And, and you know, we've, we haven't seen certainly a fifth overall pick, at least not in any recent memory, do something like that you know what we have seen a lot though over the years whether it was Justin Schultz back in the day Jimmy Vizi um, you know a number of other players who got drafted and chose to play out their NCAA eligibility and then they become unrestricted for agents rather than signing with the team that drafted them the difference of those players you know they weren't picked top 5 i think that that's really the you know where this is different and then of course there's the fact that daniel Breyer says you know after the, the the selection was made in 2022 you know, Carter Goche said, "I was made to be a flyer." You know, he initially, you know, seemed to indicate to the team officials he was excited about his opportunity there, and you know, ultimately then ends this way. So, you know, it, it, it's within the rights of the player to, to have this. I, I think you know where the team is frustrated is they just they never got an explanation as to why, and and maybe that's where the debate is. Do, do you think that they owe him that? Do you not think that? I mean it's kind of a weird system. It's hard for those of us that were never to grew up as a chance to be a pro NHL player. I mean, you don't get to choose where you go work essentially. Right. And, and the, the way the CBA currently works, you got to play seven professional seasons or reach age uh, 27 before you become an unrestricted free agent, meaning you can go choose where you want to work. And so it's a weird system. And, you know, I, I think if we knew more, we could probably dive in. Like, is this the start of more of a player empowerment kind of thing? You know, might, Other prospects consider this, but it's just it's hard to know without having more details if this is just one isolated, very specific case and we'll never know the true reason why or if it's maybe the start of a trend.
1: Does it I mean, am I weird for thinking of other similar situations where guys didn't want to play for the teams that drafted them? And at least in at least most of those cases, we had some reason I mean, the Philadelphia Flyers got Eric Lindros because he didn't want to play for Quebec City. He didn't. He didn't trust the management over there, right? Adam Fox. It seemed like he would just want to play for an American team. For Cutter Gauthier in Philly, I get it. He grew up a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. I'm still curious. I'm. I'm always going to keep asking this question <laughs> until we get something. Is it bonus money for real? Uh, Kevin Hayes denied any involvement in saying anything bad to him about the organization. I'm. I really want to know what this is.
0: I, well. I don't understand the bonus money thing because had he signed at the end of last NHL season, you know, I suppose I guess you could put in their performance bonus for say playing 10 games or or something that would be achievable, but you know, it wouldn't be like he was going to hit the main bonuses. You know, those are, those are sort of baked in Julian. And and I I wish I had them off the top of my head. I know one of them is 0.73 points per game. Uh, You know, all these sorts of things. I mean, I don't know that he would have even hit the normal performance bonuses. So there there might've been an element of that, but it's just hard for me to believe it's only that, you know, there's been some people speculating, but whether it's John Tortorella, uh, you know, being the coach in Philadelphia and his desire not to play for him, you know, Kurt Overhart has said flatly denied that. And, you know, that one doesn't really hold water for me either, because even if you might not like the current coach of the team, you know, any team and anyone in this circumstance, like, how long reasonably is John Torrell even going to be your coach? I mean, if you're not really entering a league until, you know, basically at earliest, the end of the season or the start of next season. Um, look, I just have to believe he has his reasons. I, you know, I, you just like to think a clear explanation to the team could have been given. And I mean, behind the scenes, I don't mean that he has to say that into, into a microphone, but, you know, that that might have made the the reaction from the flyers brass a little less explosive because they might have more clarity. And, and so when they meet the media, they might not say exactly what it is, but they might be able to hint at it. And, you know, I, I think that they, you know, they came across to me as almost exasperated, right? Like they just, they're almost like throwing up their hands. Like we are like, we, we don't know what the hell's going on here, but we had to deal with it. Um, and so, I mean, look, this is, this is the kind of drama we ask for sometimes, Julian. That we don't get enough we of do. in the NHL, and so you do. Um, you know, I, I'm I, I tend to lean pro player in general, and, and think that players' rights are fairly restricted as it is in the CBA. And so, he didn't do anything illegal here. He didn't he didn't break any rules. I mean, to be clear, he could have just played two more years in college and just become a UFA and sign with whoever he wanted too. Um, but, you know, this is uh, it's a very strange case. And, and we still have a few more questions than answers, I fear.
1: Look, I'm pro player just as much as you are. I just want to know why. And I'll stop saying why because I realize I'm getting really repetitive with that word. You sound like but... like
0: the jealous ex here. Like, you're like, I just want to know why. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some
1: answers. <laughs> Baby, please tell me. Like, I want closure. Maybe, maybe I do sound like that, but do you know, do you know what's an element of this we haven't touched on? What is one of the things that makes it
0: extra kind of spicy or interesting is the flyers organization is one that by and large, most players want to be part of, like it's, it really is, you know, it's a good place to play. There's a pretty, you know, there's a great history for their team. There's a good fan base. They've always been known as an organization that really kind of goes the extra mile, takes care of their players. Um, you know, there, they are like, again, like a lot of organizations talk about family and stuff. Like, I feel like the flyers are kind of like a family, like it's a real, you know, it's just not the sort of place you'd expect this for, right. It's not one of the small markets in the league or one of the cold places or a particularly terrible tax place or, you know, it's it's not sort of the traditional story you might hear along these lines. Um, you know, this isn't Jacob Truba, you know, forcing his way out of Winnipeg. And again that was his right the trades worked out on both ends. But we also
1: know we also know why that happened, right? He wanted to support his wife. If, he wanted well, to course. go to New York to support his wife. We know why that happened.
0: Of course. I'm just saying that fair enough because that that's that answers your question your your why itch got got answered in right? that case.
1: That's my whole thing. I feel as if there's a trick there's some kind of reasoning whether we don't get the full story or not there's something out there that whether it's out there in the public or You and I have a conversation about someone could tell me something. And it is just surprising to me that after all this time, we still have no real idea why he didn't want to play for the Philadelphia Flyers, an organization, as you're describing, that is a good organization. They're one of the more known teams in the National Hockey League, one of the more iconic franchises. Like, like, if you're a Philly guy, you're a Philly guy. And Carter doesn't want to be a part of that. And they're not, in, they're not in the
0: middle of one of these rebuilds that has them like the, the Sharks right now. And I'm sure we'll get to that later in the show where they're you know, like the Flyers are in a playoff spot today. They're in the middle of a rebuild and they're still, you know, a competitive team. Like, I, I would think, again, as a young prospect and a chance to step into that team, like this is a good opportunity. This is this is not a rebuild, like tear it down and we have to rebuild the whole thing. Matthew of- coming in two years. Right. It's sort of like what, you know, one of the beauties when when Matthews and Marner, not to make this all about the Leafs and Nylander came up in NHL, they came up together and the team made the playoffs in their first full season together. Like those guys didn't have to experience the pain that, you know, Connor Bedard was experiencing this year in Chicago before, you know, obviously he's gone out injured now, but you know, that, that was a tough season. Sidney Crosby's first year in Pittsburgh, you know, they, they set pretty low bar in terms of points. I mean, he was asked to being carried a lot. I, I think that the beauty about the Philadelphia situation, at least from where I sit, I'm not saying they're all the way back. It's going to take some time still, but they're, I don't think you're going to see them fall to last overall in the league at any point in the next few seasons. I think that they're already starting to swing up and obviously they, they've still got a few more assets to sell at this deadline. Like I, I think it's actually a great spot for someone to walk into can be a difference maker, be a first line player. So um, Yeah. I mean, look at that's we're talking hockey reasons and all that. There, there could be off ice things. There could be, I mean, let's face it. There's there's any number of possibilities here, and we don't know. And I think the reason it's days later and we still don't know is because the principles – a lot of the principles involved in this story, aren't. You know, I don't think they're bluffing. I don't think this is an elaborate. You know, sometimes people make everything into a giant conspiracy, right? I, I think truly the Flyers don't know what's going on here. Obviously, I would assume Cutter Gauthier, his family, and his agent at minimum. That sphere has a pretty clear idea why it got to this point. But, um, you know, it sounds like he's happy to be an Anaheim Duck. And and I think similarly, the Flyers, because of where they're at, getting a 21-year-old right-shot defenseman and Jamie Drysdale, I know he's had some injury issues last year in the start this season. But, you know, if he gets back up playing at his his top level and healthy and grows into a role there, I mean, he he could be a top-pairing defenseman for them in the very near future.
1: Tough to lose Drysdale, but they do have depth on defense in terms of their prospects, right? Guys like uh guys like uh Noel Warren and Tristan Luneau are part of that. Pavel Mintikov is there too. And I mean their forward core with with Cutter now and 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 guys like Mason McTavish. That's gonna be a really interesting team to follow in the coming years, right? I would think so. I mean, it's
0: amazing. It's like the top defensemen grow on trees in Anaheim. I mean, you, you just go way back, you know, you can start when they won the Stanley Cup, which is a, a long, long time ago now, 15 years, 16 years ago, whatever it is they, I mean, they did that. They had Niedemar and Pronger is, it's, you know, a pretty elite uh, two defensemen of it, that team built around. And then in all the years since where they had very competitive teams, like look at the guys that they traded Hampus Lindholm, you know, who's been a stud in Boston, obviously Shay Theodore just won a cup in Vegas and has been a real mainstay for them. I mean, they, they've almost like lost, good defensemen and still just seem to have more and more and more coming. Um, and so I think that, yeah, I mean, this is it. from, from the Anaheim end of this, I know the ducks kicked this around for a long, long time. Um, you know, th- th- Their conversations with Philadelphia go back quite a while uh, on the, the possibility of Gauthier, and and they just ultimately determined we're dealing from a position of strength. They feel like they need a little more explosiveness offensively, um, you know, obviously that they have offensive talents there, but that, you know, they don't have game breakers or enough of them maybe is the best way to put it. I mean, Leo Carlson, I know they're very high on and he's had a great start to the the year. He's finally unleashed now too. He's off. He's off his pitch count. His load management's yes. ended so he can play every game uh, provided he's healthy. And, and so, you know, you hope you're taking the corner there, but you know, they're also a team that has finished near the bottom of the league and haven't had any lottery luck, right. That they haven't, I mean, I know they get Carlson, you know, high up in last year's draft, but you know they haven't won a first overall pick, and so they're they're trying to to find creative ways to to boost their program. And and you know, it's I almost want to hold back judgment because I'm I'm certainly not like you love what it looks like, but it's it reminds me a little bit of where we've been with Ottawa and Buffalo at various points, even Detroit. And and you know, it's like you, you still got to see it to believe it, and. You know, I think in, in, in Anaheim anyway, they're still lining up some of, the, some of the pieces there. I mean, we've seen them sign some veterans, I think, to try to ease this transition. But, um, you know, there's still a lot of work there, I think, for Pat Verbeek. Uh,
1: there's one player from that uh, Anaheim core I did not mention, and there's a reason for that, because I want to ask you about him later on in the show when I ask you about potential trade bait uh, going around the NHL. Uh, we, we did go in a lot on Anaheim and Philly. I do want to move on to Conor Bedard, but we will touch back on Anaheim and that player I didn't mention. We should get to Chicago because Connor Bedard is out for the foreseeable future, six to eight weeks with that fractured jaw. It means we will not see him at the NHL All-Star game. I get it. There's the there's there's Chicago games and all that, and, and guys like Mark Lazarus are going to have to find other story angles when it comes to covering that team. But for the general NHL community, I'm really bummed at the fact that we will not see him in Toronto for the all-star game. How are you processing this?
0: Yeah, I'm okay with him missing the all-star game. What I'm not okay with is him missing the new skills competition. Um, because I just think, you know, what we've talked about it a little bit, but I love that they've they've reduced it to 12 players. So you're really focusing on the absolute stars of the weekend, hopefully. I mean, that's going to require all of them to have buy-in yet, and I don't have full confirmation that's going to be there. But I think that there is a pretty high level of buy-in. And you, I just love the idea of having among those 12, just off the top of my head, of the All-Stars this year, you, you know, Matthews is going to be part of it. McDavid's going to be part of it. You could have had Crosby, who's there for the weekend. Bedard, maybe Jack Hughes, who's unfortunately out currently week-to-week in New Jersey. So maybe his um, you know, availability is in question. Nathan McKinnon. You know, it could have been pretty cool. Like, imagine it got down to the last event and you're down to two players for a million dollars and it's Bedard and Crosby or something. I mean, talk about iconic. You know, that it reminds me of, what was it? You know, Trout and Otani entering a World Baseball Classic. Like, it's like seeing, just seeing something so special that only that exact event could bring together because at that time, of course, they were teammates with the LA Angels. Um In this case, this is, an, you know, I just, I think that something's lost there. The other thing I'm interested about with Bedard and obviously too bad to see him injured in the way he was took a hit from Brennan Smith. I don't think certainly nothing illegal on the play, but just an unfortunate play in the middle of the ice and catches him in the wrong way in the jaw and, and, you know, requires surgery on, on Bedard's jaw this week. But what about the Calder trophy race? Like it, it does sort of open things up and I'm not, I'm not saying that Bedard had two hands on that trophy by any stretch. I think, He probably would have been the favorite on most ballots, you know, had we cast them before his injury, Um, you know, but this, this does open the door. Like I, some people might not remember this. Connor McDavid didn't win the Calder trophy in his rookie year. And the main reason he didn't is because he suffered a collarbone injury and he ended up playing 45 games. I believe it was. And some voters just didn't feel that was enough to vote him the award. I actually had him number one on my ballot um, because to me, I think, I think literally the award is, who's the best rookie in the league, essentially. I think like, that's how it's defined. And I was like, this guy was still the best rookie in the league. We only saw 45 games. A freak play gets him injured, but he was still like a point-of-game player. He was electric from the minute he entered the, the NHL. And I remember thinking, like, we're going to look back and be like, what, Connor Bedard didn't win the Calder? Like, what What were the voters smoking? But um, right, anyway, But at the
1: same time, the guy who won it... Uh, Panarin, no right? Slu- yeah, yeah, Artemi Panarin. He's no slouch by any means.
0: By no means. But what was... Do you have the stats in front of you?
1: I don't have the look uh, at Panarin's
0: rookie stats. I just, I'm just curious about like, like, I'm not, again, I'm not mad about this. This isn't like, I'm, this isn't me. Like I've been holding this grudge for eight years and just want to bring this up on this pod, but it, it's starting to feel like it could be a comparable decision, you know, when it's time to do this year's ballots because, you know, eight weeks potentially missed for Bedard is, you know, that, you know, could easily be 20 plus games, 30 games. I mean, I haven't, Done the done the counting on Chicago's schedule. Obviously, the All Star breaks in there too. But you know, we might have the same decision. Then you got like Brock Faber. I mean, who else? Connor Zary. What's that?
1: Connor Zary in 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 Calgary. I I saw a tweet from Ryan Pike today. I think he's fourth among rookies in points. Marco Rossi in Minnesota as well. Minnesota has two candidates. I know that
0: Steve Dangle's already voting Joseph Wall
1: in for the the Calder. So. There were early. There were people early on who thought he would be a candidate. By the way, uh, Artemi Panarin, thirty goals, seventy-seven points in his rookie season in Chicago in eighty games played.
0: Okay, I mean that's 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 full value for the Calder. I think you know he was what five years older than McDavid. Probably you don't have to look that up, but I mean the, you get into all He's these 32 arguments. for what
1: it's worth. What's that? He's thirty-two for what it's worth. And McDavid's what twenty? Right. I don't remember I, exactly how old he, he is.
0: He had played, you know, he played a bunch of pro hockey in Europe. We don't have to go into a big Calder thing right now. I just, I am saying it's like something to have on your radar. Cause I, I do think had Bedard played a full season, probably by the end of it, you know, 70 to 80% of the ballots would probably have him number one. Uh, I'm not saying he was going to be unanimous. Cause you know, I think there are good counter arguments out there. And I, I really think Faber Faber to me is a real good dark horse. When you see how much he's playing, how effective he's been, it can be difficult for a defenseman to win the award, uh, typically. But, like I, I would say, he he right now, if if it's not Bedard, I would say it's favor for me. But, um, again, the beauty is we still have half a season, so my views can and will change before I actually have to uh, fill out a ballot.
1: Yeah, I I think Brock would get my vote too, uh, but I also wonder if Connor Bedard is, I mean. He, I know he's going to be gone for a while, but he did so much in that time while he was playing. And depending on how he comes back from that injury, maybe that's enough. I don't know. I, right now, if you're telling me to vote right now, I'd still, maybe still pick Bedard, but Brock Faber probably is number two. But I'm very intrigued in this race as well. I don't, I don't know. I think Connor Bedard has been an exciting player, an electric player, and we all can't wait until he gets back. He's just too good for the league right now.
0: The awards are wide open this
1: year. They are
0: like the heart trophy isn't spoken for by any stretch.
1: Do you have a pick? Do you, like, if you had to pick, if you had to, I'm not going to put you on the spot for every award, but if you had to pick a heart trophy winner right now, who would you pick?
0: I don't have it. I haven't studied it enough. I mean, look, it's, it's kind of looking like McDavid's going to be right back where, you know, the Oilers have won eight in a row. Now I, I just saw the stat today. I think he has 39 points in his last 19 games. Like he, it wasn't that long ago, probably 19 games ago, he was like a hundredth in league scoring, and now he's right back where he usually is. Um, you know, Kucherov's having a monster year, but Tampa's mm-hmm. out of the playoffs. That's you know, if 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 they, you know, they've also come on of late here. I'm not I'm certainly not saying they're missing the playoffs, but if they do, that could hurt his candidacy. You know, the Jets could Hellebuck. I mean, I know Hellebuck's going to get a lot of love for the Vesna. Could he get some Hart Trophy love? I mean, maybe. Good question you know, I I could see him there. You know, obviously McKinnon had a monster. December would be remiss if we didn't mention him. So I, I I don't, I'm not at a point where I'm picking one, but that's, those are the kind of names that are rolling off the tip of my tongue when you bring it up. Um, but yeah, I just, I like, I think this year we're going to have an intriguing award season. It's, it's, I mean, maybe Quinn Hughes, he's got a pretty good lock on the Norris as of this minute, I would say, but there's, there's a lot of debate to be had here as we, we, get into the, the new year
1: can't wait until uh the end of season when we uh, start to comparing uh, award balance
0: yeah i mean that's that's what we got to do in march and april because you get on the other side of the trade deadline i mean i guess <laughs> you talk playoff oh, races but yeah you got you got to find content somewhere so you and i got to argue about who the best player in the league is
1: yeah, we could, we could, we could, we could. We'll find content uh, after uh, March eighth. Uh, I, I can't wait until because I because I already know that you're starting to get tired with trade stuff. I not always yet. Look forward. I'm I, still. Mean, I, I think you're on your way.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm not tired though. I'm not. I'm not. I'm still energized about it. It is starting to get real. I think that's. It's it's far less hypothetical now. Like there's definitely more conversations happening around the league. You know, obviously we've seen a big trade made just this week. Uh, I mean, pretty specific circumstances, you know, why that happened in the early part of January, as I mentioned earlier, because the world junior championship ended. That's when the flyers decided was the time to move on from cutter Goche. Um, but you know, now it's where it's a little less guessing and it's a little more information based. And so I think that that's where I start to feel better about it. I just get tired about it when, because we've still got eight weeks of uh, of beating these, the same names around and be, beating this, the, the situations around. I mean, you know, the one, I guess the one dynamic I can see shaping up though. Like, I don't know if you've been studying the standings too closely recently, Julian, but there is a glut of teams. You know, if you just take the East, like you have, and I'm not looking at it, but I know you have like Pittsburgh, Washington, New Jersey, Tampa, you know, then right up to Detroit. Like they're all in like a two point band right now. And and some of those teams, you know, especially like a Pittsburgh, for example, could be I don't see them necessarily being an aggressive buyer under any circumstances, but I could see them being a seller like like I think that that will be interesting as we get closer to March 8th is just seeing who, who surges up and who's falling back and what that might mean for the decisions in the front office.
1: This episode of the Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Factor. Get started on your resolutions with Factor so you're ready for the new year. Factors ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in the new year. Skip the grocery stores, prep work, and cooking fatigue. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 meals to choose per week, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, plus over 55 weekly add-ons, you'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options to kickstart your resolutions. Forget the frantic lunches and the rush dinners. The two-minute meals from Factor are your secret weapon in the new year. You get to fuel up with fast, restaurant-quality meals all delivered right to your door. Seriously, so many benefits to come with using Factor. And if you take advantage of the deal we've got with The CJ Show, You'll be on your way. Head to factormeals.com slash johnston50 and use code johnston50 to get 50% off. That's code johnston50 at factormeals.com slash johnston50 to get 50% off. This episode of the Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Liquid IV. We're in 2024. You're going to hear a lot of people doing the whole new year, new me. But don't reinvent yourself for the new year. All you have to do is just rehydrate yourself. With Liquid IV, with three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness, Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone, all in a single sugar-free stick. So you can feel like a hydrated new you ready to take on 2024. It's really easy to put together. All you have to do, get yourself a glass of water, get yourself the stick, pour it in, all these great flavors, White peach, green grape, lemon, lime. They're really tasty. They're really great to drink. And you get yourself hydrated. Very convenient packaging as well. It gives you a whole bunch of energy. And again, they taste really great. One stick, 16 ounces of water, three times the electrolytes, no artificial sweeteners, eight vitamins, and non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Rehydrate yourself for the new year. Grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier Sugar-Free in bulk nationwide at Costco or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code JOHNSTON at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop better hydration today using promo code JOHNSTON at liquidiv.com. Uh, in the Western Conference, I was looking at this on Wednesday. There was like a nine-point difference between the Minnesota Wild, uh, a little further down, but still not too far out of a wet, of a wild card spot, and the LA Kings were third in the Pacific Division. Like it's it's just, I I think more people will end up catching on, but the Western Conference playoff race is everything. Is just it's crazy over there, and it's going right. to get it- crazy.
0: And it's funny because Edmonton's barely in a playoff spot right now, but like we've, for like the last three weeks, we're like, okay, the Oilers are the Oilers again. Like we're, I'm giving, I don't care if they're out of the playoffs. I know they're making the playoffs because once you saw them come back to life and their, their stars are clicking and you know, Zach Hyman's just potting every puck. It seems like even the ones they take away from him on, on weird uh, offside reviews. But uh, we don't, I don't know if we have to open that hatch, but um. You can if
1: you want, if you, if you have, if you have feelings on that, I do want to get to Ilya Samsonov being back with the Leafs and I still have trade questions, but if you want to go in on, on, on Connor McDavid and the offside uh, by all means.
0: Well, I'll just keep it quick. I have long said the idea of reviewing offsides when it's so close that you have to rewind and zoom in and whatever McDavid's, you know, comment was, it's insane to me. I get that you want to miss the the one out of every 15,000 calls where the, the linesmen or the referees get it totally wrong. There was years ago, a Matt Duchesne goal where he was like, like seven feet offside. Um, you know, I, I still probably need glasses, Julian. And I, I didn't need my glasses on that night to see how offside he was. Like, of, of course you want the ability to bring back that goal. But when we're, when it's so close that the human eye can't even barely detect it, even on slow-mo replay, like, what are we doing? Like, I just think it's the dumbest rule. It slows the game down. It changes the momentum. I It's it's one thing to have it in a game, you know, in, in early January between Chicago and Edmonton. It's another when it's game six of a big playoff series and it could totally swing things in one one direction or another. But I've lost this battle. Like, I I actually remember writing for me, a pretty opinionated column on this. I think it was during the 2016 playoffs, whatever year, um, Florida lost in game seven to the Islanders and John Tavares scored in overtime for the Islanders in game seven. Yeah. Anyway, there was a crazy call in, in that series. And I remember writing like, what are we doing here? And it's eight years later and, and really nothing's changed. So I, I'm sure the league didn't like that specific one. Cause it was a 15 minute review in Chicago, but, I'm not sure there's enough that's going to change minds about the the need for this. So,
1: but what about the fact that we need to get these things right? We don't want to live in a world where human error we allow human error to dictate so much of the game, where we just let stuff be wrong because the refs didn't take their time on something, right? Like that has to be acknowledged in this too. I hate the offside. Yeah, review but did
0: they the even really way. get it
1: right? that's a, that's a genuine question to be asked in all of this. I I've talked to certain people about, it and then they made the case that they did get it. Right. But the fact that we still have to ask that question, it's entirely possible that they did. not It took 15 minutes. It doesn't, did. That
0: suge- doesn't that suggest that they're not even totally sure it was right. Like
1: that's very know. fair too. I don't know, but the, I'm not but even right. sorry. No, please. my
0: position on this isn't that they got it wrong. It's just that if it isn't so clearly right or wrong, I just think what happened on the ice should stand. Like, did anyone on the ice stop playing at that moment? No. Everybody thought it was onside. Anyway.
1: Dude, dude, don't apologize I just, it. I just it's, hate it's the okay Zapruder film opinion. stuff. I just no, think hockey is a game where there is a lot of gray. Yeah, but you have to get that right. Like, I don't know. I mean, I can't. Yeah, but you can't tell me they definitely got it right. I can't tell you. You're right. I can't so, tell you. Here's what I can I tell you. That should be something we should just live with.
0: There was a play at the line that was so close that even 15 minutes at the the people that are best at their job. Look at this film and they're not sure for 15 minutes. Like, what about just, hey, what happened on the ice was so close. Everybody played. The, the Blackhawks had a chance to stop the Oilers. They didn't. Zach Hyman. By the way, I heard a stat that Zach Hyman has the most disallowed goals in the last two years.
1: I had no idea we were, we were even calculating.
0: that. I saw it somewhere. I wish I could attribute it and I don't even know. I can't verify it. So I'm just, I'm out here like this is, but you know, Zach Hyman has scored a lot of goals the last two years. Think of all the ones they've taken off the board from him.
1: Yeah. I I, I just hope that it wasn't some big Edmonton Oilers fan just spreading this information. I'm willing to believe that could be true, but we should probably double check that my <laughs> last thing I'll say about this is just, I think the refs can at least say, you know, it's inconclusive. We can't tell whatever we rolled on the ice. We can just go with that. It doesn't need to be 15 minutes. But I do think I do think there needs to be some kind of grace where the referees can look into something and get this right. And, and you brought it up earlier. If this happened in a playoff game, I, 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 wouldn't you want them to take as much time as they can? Not too much time, but I don't know if we're reacting to this the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that gr- that soft grumbles like, oh God. All right. Let's let's Well, get just because
0: I just think if it's so close that the human eye can't detect what's right and wrong and the play happens, like how many calls are not made in the game that we don't go back and review? Like I just Again, the one that's ten feet offside and somehow it's missed and it's so obvious that everyone at home knows right away you don't have to watch the replay more than once. Yes, let's fix that one. But yes. these ones where it's like dancing along the line, and
1: I don't know. Look, bah. we could, can, we could, can, can humbug. To, yeah, well, it's January 10th. Christmas is already long gone. I've already got my gifts. You can't steal Christmas from me, sir. I'm
0: just old man yelling at Cloud right now. I like, damn, with this technology, what are these kids ruining
1: the game? Okay, let's let's get you to Ilya Samsonov and the Leafs before you start coming up with boomer takes about something. Uh, he's back with the Toronto Maple Leafs, called up from the Toronto Marlies. What's next for him? Who knows? I mean, this is a... <laughs> wow, okay. Well, <laughs> I
0: mean, I'm actually not being glib here. This is okay. a highly yeah. unusual situation.
1: Have you ever remembered anything like this? No. Well... Not to the point where, I mean, Jack Campbell got sent down. He has that contract that he has today, at least played in the AHL. Yeah, and practiced and, like, joined the team. Yeah.
0: So, review the tape here. Ilya Samsonov loses a game in Columbus on December 29th. The Leafs allowed 21 shots. He let in six goals. They lost in overtime. Like, it's a total goalie loss. Like, there there was no other reason that that happened that night. If you remember Sheldon Keith's post-game comments, I mean, he was trying to be polite. He wasn't actually trying to run the bus over his goalie, but like at a certain point, he can't be too critical of his team either, because when you hold the opponent to 21 shots, you should expect to win. Um, They put him on waivers, passes through unclaimed, spends a week on his own working with Hanu Toivonen, who's a, a, a goaltending instructor in the Leafs organization, has one practice in the American Hockey League on Tuesday with the Marlies. And then gets recalled Wednesdays on the ice with the Leafs. And, you know, now the Leafs are heading into a situation. They have three games in four days with the Thursday, Saturday, Sunday coming up. Like, are they going to play in one of those games? I, I'm not even here to tell you it's wrong. I just, I'm, what I am saying, putting my cards on the table, I just don't know if it's right. Like, I don't, I don't know how I, I can appreciate. Look, the Leafs have been pretty clear that this is, you know, this is partly a mental issue that, that Ilya Samsonov's dealing with or that they're worried his, his confidence is shaken, that he's, you know, really been in his own mind. And so they felt, you know, just even getting, you know, out of the spotlight of preparing for games, being at practices, you know, having cameras on him, speaking to the media, just the whole bit, like like the whole competitive day-to-day environment of a team, which would include even the AHL, you know, that he could benefit from that break. I just don't know, you know, when he hasn't played since December 29th, now we're at, what, January 10th? So we're coming up on two weeks since he played a game, only a handful of practices with a full team in front of him. I, I just don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, really. And, you know, there's no guarantee he's playing, by the way, in, in these next couple of days. I mean, they, they could recall Dennis Hildeby, uh, who they sent back to the American Hockey League, and have him start one of the games on the weekend. I mean, you know, one of the reasons Sheldon Keith mentioned for this, this kind of flip-flopping is they wanted to get Hildeby in games because he's just been backing up in the NHL. Well, he could play for the Marlies on Friday. They have a home game and then be recalled for the weekend himself. And maybe he's playing one of the games. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I would just, I go back to the fact that this is an unusual set of circumstances. It's been a really difficult and trying season for Leah Samsonov. i got to tell you, I was there the opening days of training camp around the Maple Leafs. He didn't seem right from the opening days of camp. Like he was struggling. Then they, they didn't play him for the first couple games at all exhibition games. You know, apparently he wanted Kind of a different routine for camp, and you know that's totally fine. There's eight preseason games. Like, I'm certainly not saying your starter has to play even half of them, but it just feels like they've been managing him the whole year, and he just hasn't ever really found his footing. And I can appreciate that the Leafs don't want to give up on him. They they saw enough last year, I think, to believe there's a good goalie in there. Really, really the the, the challenge they're facing in the middle of an unrelenting schedule, an unrelenting season, a salary cap that paralyzes moves they have to try to see if they can get him back up and running somehow and i i think the odds are stacked against them and him quite frankly and and you know you saw that with jack campbell i mean this this would probably be the the counter argument you know jack campbell was sent to bakersfield and he's floundering down there with a you know sub 900 save percentage and you know it hasn't fixed whatever you know has been ailing him and so I mean, what do we even know about goaltending at this point? All I know is it's chaos this season. And this is, you know, this the only reason this isn't an even bigger issue, and I know everything in Toronto gets blown up as it is, but is because Martin Jones has been great for them. And, you know, the fact they signed him as an insurance policy was a bit of a forgotten guy. He's, he's come up and at least made the saves he's supposed to make. And then I'd say even a little bit more than that. Um, hasn't had to steal them a game. They've come through a pretty soft schedule. I mean, they won a big game in Los Angeles on the road last week, and that's a, a tough team to play against. They played really well in front of them, but since then, you know, they, they played Anaheim and had 50 shots. They, they played back-to-backs with San Jose. You know, it's been a pretty soft part of the schedule and defensively, the Leafs results have been strong, so they haven't been giving up too much, but you know, Martin Jones hasn't lost them the game where they only allowed 21 shots against, right. That's, that's where this all started. I mean, when, when the argument is like, when do you start Samsonov again? Well, the game, they started him on December 29th, you know, that, that was supposed to be the game where everything got locked down and, uh, it didn't happen. So I don't know where this goes next. I I'm, I don't know. Do you know what? I don't think the Leafs know where it goes next. Like they'd like to have a plan for him, of course. And I think they're doing what they can to, to do that. I think they really, I think they really want to protect him quite honestly, which is another thing it's difficult to do in in a media marketplace like this one. And, and, you know, when you're the number one goalie for a team, like there's kind of nowhere to hide, right. On any given night, you could be blamed whether fairly or not for a loss. And so it's, it's, it's sort of a, it's a difficult position to be in and I'm not, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure where it goes.
1: Yeah. We're going to have to follow that one as that one, uh, as that story materializes, I want to get to some trade talk while we still have a bit of time before we wrap up uh, the CJ show here, I want to get to Trevor Zegris. It seems like his place in the Anaheim core isn't all that secure. And his name has been brought up in a couple different trade rumors. What are you making of that situation?
0: Well, I think we should be careful here. I think some of, I, I don't know. I haven't, I don't know exactly what rumors you're referencing. Like I've started to see a little bit of speculation, You know, my understanding of the situation is, you know, he it's no secret that he's a player that the organization has asked to do different things with his game. You know, have had concerns even prior to now. I don't mean anything recently this week or anything, you know, about his two way play and things like that. Obviously, he's a young player still in the league. Natural to push a player like that. I mean, the Leafs spent a lot of years pushing William Nylander. You know, this is this is normal. And look at what you get. I mean, sometimes it takes patience. And so, I don't get the sense at all they've concluded they have to trade him. You know, it's a big bidding war. I, I think maybe they, they they realize they have to be open to the idea because you know he's a positive value asset. There, are, there are at least two or three or four teams out there I think that would really like to get their hands on him. There's probably a longer list beyond that that are thinking like, whoa, this could be good." Like that are at least like, "Hey, should we be talking ourselves into this?" And so, I think we have to see where it goes. I, I don't, as I say, I, I don't think that we should draw a straight line from one to the other you know he was roommates with drysdale that maybe he hasn't you know hasn't always fit in well exactly what they were looking for in anaheim and they've wanted more out of him so he's automatically gone you know i i think there's a chance you know we've got another trade board coming out next week julian on the athletic and i'd say there's a high 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 probability trevor segers name will appear somewhere on that list but I wouldn't even have him in the top 10 right now. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a chance he's traded, but by no means do I think it's it's a certainty or anything like that.
1: What about some of the other names we are probably going to find on that list? We, we bring up Calgary a lot because they have a bunch of pending UFAs. There, there are the reports with Noah Hannafin and potential talks of an extension, but also Elias Lindholm and Chris Tannever on there.
0: Yeah, and, and you can add Jacob Markstrom's name, I think, To there, I mean, where Markstrom, of course, is different than his three teammates is he signed beyond this season. Um, He's got a full no-movement clause, so there's a world where he just says, hey, I don't want to move anywhere, and it doesn't matter whatever Flames manager wants to do. So he's got a little different say or control than than his teammates. But, you know, Craig Conroy has been clear that he doesn't want to lose assets for nothing. Um, It makes sense to me on some level that you're working parallel tracks. You're having discussions with the agents about what an extension would look like. You're having discussions with the other GMs to see, you know, what a trade might look like. And and you have to make the best decision that you can in the moment. Is it better to sign the player at this contract? Or should we just, you know, make a deal? And so I think that Calgary's working through that. But you know, Conroy, I think, is gonna a lot will run through him in the lead up to this deadline period, no matter kind of how those situations shake out. Even if even if they were to extend Hannifin, this is a hypothetical still at this point in time. I mean, I still think he's making deals elsewhere and, and even that will have ripple effects. If Hannafin comes completely off the market, then, you know, it's just one less higher-end defenseman you can can add out there. Um, you know, the Markstrom one will be interesting. I think John Gibson is another name to keep an eye on. Just for, you know, those are, they're in the same class, right? Because they both have, you know, pretty weighty contracts and, and commitment well beyond this year. And so it's not an easy trade to, to make by any means, but you know, if, if, if any team really decides to have to step up and take a big swing in terms of getting an impact goaltender, I mean, I think you're, you're, you're basically shopping from a list of two um, with those two. And then, you know, if you look at the next class of goalies, you have some like Jake Allen, who is signed through next year, veteran in the league, but probably not coming in to be a surefire number one somewhere. And then you're going to have some, some other names like Peter Mrazik, who's actually kind of having a low-key under-the-radar season in Chicago uh, Kakinen who's unfortunately uh, stopping pucks and facing a lot of shots in San Jose so his numbers maybe don't look great but you know I could see him being moved as a pending UFA and so the, the goaltending market will be interesting normally there's not a lot of goalie trades but this 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 has been a weird year in net and so I'm not offering any predictions eight weeks out from the deadline and
1: very wise and very uh very sage of you to do that you mentioned San Jose uh you you wrote a column on them uh for the athletic and how uh they are not going through a great time. Can we touch off on that real quick?
0: Yeah, I mean, just quickly, the high level is they're comparing unfavorably with '90s era expansion teams in the NHL, which is really difficult thing to do. If, if for those of you that weren't around in the '90s, let Uncle CJ tell you about a time before there were loser points and before there were shootouts, and it, it was just a, it was it was way more common um, to there's more points on the table now in the league. And so when you're on pace for 42 points at the halfway point of the season, which is where San Jose San Jose is heading into Thursday's game in Montreal, you know, you're, you're being compared to like the expansion Atlanta thrashers, the expansion San Jose sharks, uh, which lost 17 games in a row in regulation at one point uh, the expansion Ottawa senators, which are may, might be the worst team ever, certainly among them. Uh, won 10 out of 84 games when there was an 84 game schedule did the expansion on West Senators. So the Sharks are better than that because they, they do have nine wins through 41 games, but it's not looking too good. I mean, they no team takes less shots and scores less goals and no team allows more shots and allows more goals. They started the season with an 11-game losing streak. They were actually technically 0 10 one, eleven 11-game winless streak for anyone out there. Then they went on a stretch to the middle of the, their schedule where they, they were nine and seven in a couple overtime losses. So, you know, they, they had a, they steadied the ship and now they've lost 12 games in a row in regulation at this point in time. And so, yeah, they're in one, man. That's, that's the way David Quinn put it. You know, I I don't take pleasure in writing that, that column or anything and, and having to go and sort of ask those players what it's like. I mean, Mario Ferrero after the game, you know, he's a local guy from Toronto, you know, sort of talked about what it's like to play in a seven, one loss in your, the one game he gets to play in his home city in front of family and friends, you know, and he even cited cited like mental health concerns for he and his teammates. So that's why I don't want to make you know light of this because I, I think when you lose that much, it, it can be very difficult. Um, I don't really see a way out for them. Like I I don't, I mean, look at They've been at their absolute worst here in those two games against Toronto. So you, you can't judge someone by their absolute best or their absolute worst. I mean, cause the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, but but even in, when they're you know in a mid of, more of a middling state, it's just they're, they're not very competitive. And this is this is what I would hold up as Exhibit A of be careful what you wish for if you're out there wanting your favorite team, your local concern, to tear it right down to the studs because that's really what San Jose is doing. Right? They traded Brent Burns. They traded Eric Carlson. They traded Timo Meyer last year. They've taken on a lot of contract dump players. They've added aging veterans, and you just kind of get a team where and you know they just they're not at a point yet where their young players are pushing up and becoming difference makers uh, they haven't you know they weren't fortunate to win the Connor Bedard lottery right so they, they drafted Will Smith at number 4 last year but you know he's he's currently in the NCAA so he's not helping anything in the, in the here and now and so you, you can there's a lot of lean nights when you, when you do what they're doing and and I'll tell you like you could I felt bad honestly I almost felt a little guilty it's my job to go and you know, ask some questions of the players and the coach after a game like that. But um, it's very clearly that it, it's hit them hard. And, and, you know, they're they're on a long road trip here. I mean, it, it could spiral. I'll, I'll leave you with this. Since the cap era came in, only one team has lost more games in a row in regulation than this current run of San Jose. And that was the, the Buffalo Sabres of 2014-15. And they lost 14 in a row in regulation. San Jose currently sits at 12. They play in Montreal on Thursday. So they could get to 13 there. And then, you know, I believe it's Ottawa next on their schedule Saturday afternoon where it could be 14. Um, So, I mean, we're talking, we really are talking recent history, historically bad start to a year. Um, And again, the weird part is 11 game losing streak, a real respectable middle part of the schedule where they play teams hard, had all those crazy comebacks, if you remember, and then 12 losses in a row now, and uh, still a lot of games left to play and nothing to play for.
1: Yeah, that's really tough for them. You should check out uh, Chris Johnston's column on the San Jose Sharks on the athletic website. Do you have a stick tap, sir, as we wrap up the CJ show? A stick tap and a quick story. It was late in the
0: lockout shortened 2012-13 season. I, I was a young reporter at SportsCenter at the time. And in the last week of that regular season, I spent four days in a row in Tampa, just the way the schedule allowed. For some reason, least, we were there for a number of days. And I recall meeting the head coach, the new head coach of the Lightning in the lobby of the hotel I was staying in because he was also staying in it. His name was John Cooper. And I will tell you that when I first met John Cooper randomly in that hotel, and, and at that time really didn't know much about him, I knew a little bit about his past in terms of he had a crazy uh, winning streak the year before in the American League with the Norfolk Admirals, but um, you know got a chance to, to socialize with him then. I could never have imagined meeting him that day and where the Lightning were as a team, You know how new he was to the league that I, that the same coach would still be the head coach of that team. And he would reach 500 career victories all with the Tampa Bay lightning. So I thought that was an amazing achievement by John Cooper. Uh, and it is, it's hard to coach one team for three or four years in a row. I mean, you're talking legend status. If you can win 500 teams, you know, games behind the bench with one organization. So, I mean, it, it helps that John helped the lightning get reach. Uh, what four Stanley cup finals, a couple of additional Eastern conference finals. They've done a whole lot of winning there, but uh, I will give my stick tap to John Cooper for doing the undoable and keeping one head coaching job for more than a decade.
1: That is really great. That is awesome. Congratulations to him. Uh, I'll just quickly give mine to Michael Backlund. Uh, He ties uh, Mark Giordano for second most games played in a flames uniform. But I especially want to give it to his daughters, who I think the cutest video you'll watch on social media all week is uh, his daughters announcing the starting lineup ahead of their game against Ottawa earlier this week. Just amazing. And then after them, one of them just running over to Michael to hug them. That is one of the best things. That's that's what we call a a timeline cleanser. That was a really good uh, video put up by the Calgary Flames. So I'll give them a stick tap for that. Shout I love to the Michael team
0: back. just started doing that in the last it's the last number of years, like you know, having so, a guest in to announce a starting lineup and then putting it out on social media. I think it's it's been a welcome addition to hockey Twitter, which isn't always a happy and heartwarming place.
1: Well said. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of CJ Show. Subscribe to the SDPN YouTube channel, subscribe to our podcast, subscribe to the SDPN Discord as well, subscribe to all of our things. We have a lot of great content to give you. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long and peace. The Chris Johnston
0: Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at Reporter Chris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie.